We are to lesson five in the study of Galatians. We're going to be looking at something today that has served to keep followers of Yeshua from the truth. And it's all because of one word. It's a bad translation of the Greek, and it has served to put a dividing wall between followers of Yeshua and the Jewish people. So let's get started, but we're going to start in verse 6, just for continuity. We're going to read from verse 6 through 12 first. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Messiah and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, trying to pervert the gospel of Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Strong words, huh? I am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Messiah. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from the Messiah Yeshua. And so... I want you to note that I underlined the section where it says approval of men and that trying to win the approval of men is to not be a servant of Messiah. I did that because that's exactly what he's going to address beginning with verse 13 as we read on. This is where we start for today. You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism and how I intensely persecuted the church of God. And tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. And was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. His previous way of life in Judaism is that time before he knew the Messiah. And I want you to take note that he says my previous way of life. My previous behavior in Judaism. Does that mean that he's no longer part of Judaism? No. When he uses the term Judaism, he's not advancing the idea of a new faith. The idea that Paul has no longer considered himself a Jew or, or not part of the same faith in God is incorrect and a product of misunderstanding of some of the things in these very verses. He's not distinguishing between Judaism and the church. So to get a better flavor, I think we should read this from the Young's Literal Translation. Because there is no Judaism in church, as we'll see as we go on. The Young's Literal reads this way. For ye did hear my behavior once in Judaism, that I exceedingly I was persecuting the assembly of God. And wasting it. And was advancing in Judaism above many equals of my age in my own race, being more abundantly zealous for the traditions of my fathers, or the fathers' deliverances, as they put it. And notice that the word church becomes assembly. You see, when properly translated, I want you to know, I want to show you today that the word church in your Bible is very misleading. If you were to read the Greek you'd be reading the Greek word ekklesia, 
which is translated in other Greek translations like the Septuagint version of the Bible as assembly or congregation. It's not a word that has any other meaning than assembly or congregation except for the misconception that we have in the English Bible. Understand that it refers to an assembly and it is solely distinguished by what, as to what kind of assembly by the adjectives it's used with or the context. The word is ecclesia, and I put it up here for you, and it means calling out a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation. Even the definition here is somewhat misleading because depending on usage, as we're going to see in a moment, it doesn't even have to be a religious meeting, a religious assembly. It could be a mob. Let me show you two uses of the Greek word ekklesia in our Messianic writings. And let's look at the very first use of the word church because that is most often translated in our New Covenant Scriptures. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. And Yeshua replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you the truth, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Here's one instance, and in this instance, it is assembly, a congregation of Yeshua. And we know that by the context. Yeshua says, my assembly. However, in our English Bibles, it says church. But if the translators were consistent, then it would be assembly or congregation with the context telling us what kind of assembly. And so here, the assembly will be Yeshua's assembly. Let's read this about this word from the Encyclopedia Britannica. The Greek word ekklesia, which came to mean church, was originally applied to a classical period to an official assembly of citizens. In the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Old Testament, the term ekklesia is used for a general assembly of the Jewish people, especially when gathered for religious purposes such as hearing the law. In the New Testament, it is used of the entire body of believing Christians throughout the world. Now let's look at uh, the definition of the word church from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Middle English, churche, from the Old English, cerise, ultimately from the late Greek, kyriakon, from the Greek, neuter, kyriakos, of the Lord, kyrios, Lord, Master, First known use before the 12th century. And so the word church is a relatively new word and it was used in the 1395 Wycliffe translation of the Bible. But in 1525, Tyndale, the Tyndale version of the Bible didn't use it. Tyndale translated ecclesia properly as congregation. Tyndale did not use the word church when it came to uh, translating ecclesia two times in Acts 14 and 1937, which both refer to buildings, he used it. When it referred to buildings, and the kind of buildings it referred to were those of idol worship, pagan temples. So Tyndale, when translating the word ecclesia in Matthew chapter 16, translates it this way. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my congregation. However, as I said, he did not use the word church in his translation when referring to ecclesia or assembly of Yeshua, but he did use it in Acts chapter 19 and verse 37. He says, For ye have brought hither these men 
which are neither robbers of churches nor yet despisers of your goddess. And here's the way most Bibles read this. For you have bought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. Tyndale actually translates the word correctly because the word church more accurately means a building. Like a temple. And not an assembly in the sense of ecclesia. And what did he receive for his efforts? What did Tyndale receive for his translation? He was put to death on the stake by the Catholic Church. It is the inconsistency with which the word is used in our Bible that adds to the confusion. Let's look at another use of the word ecclesia in Acts chapter 19, verse 28. And when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of Ephesus! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. People seized Gaius, Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him, even though some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly, or ecclesia, was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Now what I want you to see is the same word is used here in the Greek for a riot, a mob. A riotous assembly, it's ecclesia. This time, however, it's translated assembly, as it should be. It's what you would see if you were reading the Greek. Because the word church came in to be in our English translation. So you have to ask yourself, why is the same word when it's used of followers of Yeshua, church? But when it's used of a mob, it becomes assembly. The other reason I bring this up is that it misleads we English readers. And here's how. When we read its first use of the word in Matthew chapter 16, it's translated church instead of assembly or congregation, so the word is new. It appears nowhere else in the Bible. And so what do we think as we read it? We think Yeshua has begun something new, the church. It's brand new. When in fact, he's describing an assembly of the righteous over which he's king. Let's read again. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yeshua replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. How will we recognize this assembly of the righteous? Well, they will be the ones who had, as it says in verse 16, Revealed to them Messiah Yeshua as the Son of God. The Messiah revealed to them by the Father in heaven. Or we could say the Spirit of God. Is that something new? Is that something new that we should use an entirely different word? Well, no, it's not. A few years ago, we spent a whole year searching for Messiah in the Torah. And what we found was that Abraham knew Messiah Yeshua. He was revealed to him by the Spirit of God. We found that Jacob knew him in the same way. And that's why Yeshua says this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. He says, Yeshua heard this. He was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at a feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
You see, there's no difference between the assembly Yeshua speaks of in Matthew chapter 16 and the feast that he speaks of here. They're made up of the one and the same people. And here, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are at the feast. And not just that, but they're distinguished guests at the feast. So here's my problem with the word church. It's confusing. Here Paul calls the followers of... Uh, what, what, what was our New Testament called the followers of Yeshua? They call them the sect of the way. Not church, as in something new, but as the assembly of God, as in something very old. And here he says, I persecuted the assembly of God. But what does he call that assembly of God elsewhere? Or Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Shaul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so here this assembly of God is further defined for us as the people of the way. Matthew or Acts chapter 24, verse 14 says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which is called a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. The way here is referred to as a sect. A sect of what? What is it a sect of? Well, let's see where else it's used. Acts chapter 28 says this. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you but we want to hear what are what your views are for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect they call it a sect you know some of your bibles may say heresy how many people say heresy there that's misleading too let's look at the word that's used for it, it is that word heresy but it means and look what it means in four. A body of following their own tenets, a sect or a party of the Sadducees, of the Pharisees, of the Christians, dissensions arising from the diversity of opinion and aims. All of that to say that the followers of the way were a sect. And a sect of what? Judaism. When Paul says, my previous way of life in Judaism, he's referring to his previous behavior in the sect called the Pharisees. Well, understand that the assembly of God or the sect called the way practiced a form of Judaism as well. The fact is, if we go to Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this of himself. If anyone thinks he has a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legal righteousness, faultless. And again in Acts chapter 23, in verse 6, he says, Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. 
Paul tells us here that he is a Pharisee, another sect of Judaism. And notice that he is also addressing the Sadducees, another sect of Judaism. The main differences between them is the Pharisees believed in a resurrection and the Sadducees did not. But they're both a sect or a form of Judaism. The Essenes were another form of Judaism. And while there were others, the one that we need to concern ourselves with were the followers of the way. They were a form of Judaism. It was Messianic Judaism. Because that's what separated them from the others. They believed Yeshua was the Messiah. Those who accept Yeshua as Messiah were followers of Messiah Yeshua. The members of the way were very close in their beliefs to the Pharisees. That's why Paul, though he's a member of the way, can still call himself a Pharisee. What separated the Pharisees and the way was that the way believed Yeshua was the Messiah. And they were followers of Messiah Yeshua. So while they're all Judaisms, and to one form... But to one from the nations, let's say a Gentile from the nations, they all look the same. But they had differences. All of that to say, when Paul says advancing in Judaism and persecuting the people of God, he's not saying there was Judaism and then there was the church. It would more accurately should be said, the previous way in life in Pharisaic Judaism and the current way of life in the way he was going to say. Not only that, but if we think back to the designation the way, and if we look at the three men above that Yeshua tells us are part of this great assembly, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we find that they were two followers of the way. In other words, they were not led by a rabbi. They were not led by the traditions of the fathers. They weren't even led by the written Torah because it wasn't written down yet. They were led by the Spirit of God into living righteous lives before God. They were men who listened to God and did what He said and they had relationship with God. They were followers of the way too because that is the way. The truth and the life. And when Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism, he's saying he was advancing in a particular form of Judaism. He was advancing in Pharisaism. In the school of Hillel. And the Judaisms of the first century had one thing in common. They were all Torah observant. That's why Paul said in his defense in chapter, or chapter 24, he says, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers, the follower of the way, which is a, called a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the Torah. And that is written in the prophets. And so what do these sects not have in common? the way they walk out those commands of God. They both believe in Torah observance, so Paul could certainly call himself a Pharisee since he believed in the resurrection and the tenets, basic tenets. Where they differed was the Messiah and how they lived out the Torah. The Pharisees walked by the traditions of the fathers, the way walked by the Spirit of God. And I should say this as well, they walked by the traditions of the fathers as long as it didn't conflict or disagree with the Spirit of God. And what are the traditions? Well, the Greek lexicon tells us this of the paradosis. That's what they translate traditions. It says, the body of precepts 
especially ritual, which in the opinion of the latter Jews were orally delivered by Moses and orally transmitted in an unbroken succession to subsequent generations, which precepts, both illustrating and expanding on the Torah, as they did, were to be obeyed with equal reverence. What Paul is seeing here is that before this newfound faith in Yeshua, he was a follower and an expert in the oral traditions of the fathers. And so Paul knows, and again, he's accused of preaching against the traditions of the fathers, trying to make it easy path for non-Jews. And here he tells them how zealous he was for those traditions. In fact... It was the reason he was advancing so rapidly in Judaism. I, said, I think I said this last week. Is that he was advancing in Judaism beyond that of those who are trying to throw these people into confusion. But what he's also going to say is he set that all aside when he heard the good news of Messiah Yeshua. He's contrasting the good news he preached and lived by those of the way, with Pharisaism. And uh, that they are hearing from those who are trying to throw them into confusion. Listen to verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately to Arabia and later to Damascus, returned to Damascus. And I love this passage because we can see the call of God on a person's life clearly. First, God set him apart from birth. You know, he set us apart from birth. He foreknew that he would call Shaul and he set him apart from birth. Because of that, he guided his life. He kept his hand upon him. Paul studied with Gamaliel, and while that was now rubbish to him, it was still undoubtedly equipped him for what God had in store for him. He was the exact expert that God needed. Next, he actually called Paul, and was that, that was his experience uh, he, when he was on the Damascus Road. Yeshua calls Paul. And next we get one of the most important verses in Galatians. It says, Was pleased to reveal his son in me. He did not learn from any man, not even the other apostles. The thrust of the book of Galatians is, Are you going to observe the Torah in the old way that Paul himself left? The traditions of the fathers, are you going to observe Torah through the leading of the Spirit of God because of your faith in Messiah Yeshua who is now able to guide you into all truth? Paul chose Yeshua. And he went immediately to Arabia. And the time he went to Arabia, Paul had to radically align his thinking. He was taught in the ways of his father's but that was all to change. And now he had a new teacher. Yeshua himself. And Yeshua's ways in many cases were not the ways of the fathers. The whole letter is about that very thing. Everything he learned about non-Jews becoming a part of Israel was out the window. 
Because Yeshua told him that the Gentiles are grafted in through faith like Abraham. And how do you get to hear the voice of God as Paul? Because it's all available to all of us. It takes time in prayer. It takes time of study. You know, somebody asked me, well, what commands this week? Somebody asked me, what commands in the Torah apply to me? Well, why don't you read scripture and start to pray? Do you think Yeshua won't reveal what commands apply to you? But it takes time and you have to seek God in your prayer closet and you have to seek God in your prayer closet and you have to study Torah as well.